Okay, we're here down in my paint studio, and I'm going to illustrate what I've got to say with a little painting. We're going to talk about the greatest hoax of all times perpetrated upon the church. And 99.9% .9 of Christians have fallen for it and been deceived. The deception has been so successful that most Christians don't even know there's an issue. And when the issue is raised, people are so comfortable that they mock it as if it were some flat earth theory. So we're going to go into that today and make, you, make it very clear where you can understand it. Okay, we're talking about Bible text. We're talking about Bible issues. Now we're not going to speak in terms of critical text, conflations, recensions, such things as that. We're going to make it so plain that even a seminary graduate will be able to understand it. When I was in Bible college, I took Greek. I was excited about taking Greek because the preachers I all heard corrected the Bible and told us what the Greek really said. So I thought I didn't have a Bible that I could trust. I had to go and learn Greek. That's the only way I really know what the Bible had to say. So when I got into Bible college, I was really excited. I thought, wow, this is great. Finally, I'm going to be able to understand the Bible in the original languages. And then when I got in Greek class, I was shocked. They gave me a copy, or at least I bought a copy, uh, of the 25th edition of the West Cotton Hort's Greek New Testament called Nestle Allen Greek New Testament. And uh, so about the sixth week into the class, I was confounded. I realized that I wasn't learning original Greek. I was simply taking the definitions I was given out of lexicons and translating them. And so it was years later when I got out of Bible college and actually began to study. One of my professors came by where I was selling some paintings at an art show. And I said to him, now it wasn't my Greek professor, but he's one of the college professors. I said to him, how is it you never told me that the Greek Bible we were using was only less than 100 years old and was not the original Greek? I said, how come you didn't tell me that it came from the Sinaiticus Vaticanus text and represented a small majority, less than 1% of all the manuscripts that are available, and that the King James Bible came from the text of Receptus, the traditional text, the text the church had always used, and that the new Greek text that Nestle Allen had was invented out of a manufactured text of the 1840s, 42, he said, huh? And I repeated it, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I was, I was again shocked that here was my college professor, one of them who corrected the Bible based on the Greek, and he had no idea that the Greek text he was using was not the original Greek text. It was a manufactured fraud less than 100 years old. And so when you use books like Strong's Concordance and refer to the Greek words, many of those definitions are inaccurate. Many of the words are inaccurate because they come from the corrupted text. We're going to look at that. There are over 5,000 portions of the Bible in Greek. 
many of them preserved by the Greek church in the Byzantine Empire, actually in Greece, where the language has been continually spoken from the day of Christ onward. Those 5,000 plus manuscripts are what the King James Bible comes from. It's called the Received Text or the Textus Receptus. And until the middle 1800s, when German rationalism came to the forefront, when Darwinism rose up, when the Seventh-day Adventist Church was being formed, when atheism was coming to its height and spiritualism was growing, and people were rejecting Christianity, rejecting the church, rejecting the supernatural for natural explanations for everything. During that period of time, German rationalism wanted to dispose of Scripture. So they developed the idea that the Bible had been passed down from translator to translator and was inaccurate. And there was one man named Tischendorf, young man, 28 years old, who decided that it was his job to prove that the Bible was inaccurate. So Tischendorf began to search for manuscripts, any kind of a Greek text that might differ with the standard Greek text that the church had used for 2,000 years. So he went to North Africa and went through a library in a monastery on Mount Sinai, a place that had preserved old text very well because of an extremely dry environment. And there he found a manuscript that appeared to be old, and it became to be called the Sinaiticus, Mount Sinai, text. He came back with a portion of it and went back and got the rest of it at a later date. And he declared that this was the true and accurate Bible. Now, it differed with the standard text in literally thousands of places, even in the Gospels alone. And so Tischendorf, with German scholarship, passed this off as the real Bible. And then Westcott and Hort picked up on it, and they never got to see the, that text, but they picked up on it, took a handwritten copy, and produced a Greek Bible that came out in the 1880s. And that Greek Bible has Greek words in it that don't appear in any ancient Greek text that they created to fill in. Now, the text that Tischendorf had was not written in the ancient Koine Greek. It was written in the more modern Greek. But Westcott and Hort back-translated it into the ancient Koine Greek to make it look more legitimate. And then they published their Greek Bible and created a new English version based on it. In 1901, the American Standard uh, Version came out, and since then, 400 English Bibles have been translated, all based on that corrupt manuscript. Now, here's their argument. Their argument is that this was a 4th century manuscript. And being a 4th century manuscript, it was older than any other whole Bible found. And that's true. It was, it was nearly whole, and it was older than any whole Bible. But here is the argument. Since it's older than, say, 6th century Greek manuscripts, 5th century Greek manuscripts, late 4th century Greek manuscripts, since it's older, therefore it's more accurate. 
Now, here's the argument. Let me paint it for you here. Let, picture this, this stream flowing out right here, a river coming out. This is your 5,000 manuscripts from which the King James Bible comes. Now, those 5,000 manuscripts date from about the 12th century back into the 7th century, then little pieces in the 4th century, one piece of Matthew dated in the middle of the 1st century before most people thought it was even written. And so there's all these single verses, uh, chapters, a letter from someone in the 3rd century writing to another Christian, a song sung, a portion of scripture here. So you take all these little pieces of manuscripts, some whole books, and when you get on down to 700 A.D., major portions, major Bibles, many different translations in different language, Gothic, uh, Coptic, uh, Arabic, uh, the Danish, uh, especially uh, in the English language, the ancient uh, Gothic language, and others like that come on down. And so the King James Bible in 1611, is based on all of these manuscripts, the traditional text that came down to us from the beginning. Okay, what Tischendorf came up with and Westcott and Hort advocated was older. It dated all the way back to, say, right here. But it's a different stream. It's a stream that comes off and flows separate from all the other Bibles. And it's a narrow stream that comes down to us today. In other words, the river forked. The river forked and say, third, 300s, 400, somewhere along there. It forked. Now, what happened was, at that fork, is someone erected, and I'll ask you, which, which stream would you rather drink out of? Would you rather drink out of this one that had flowed that far, or go back and drink out of the one closer to the source? You say, I'd rather drink out of the one closer to the source. And that's what people say. And I can understand that completely. If... If the stream you're drinking out of is, flows without interruption. But let's suppose that the stream forked. There was a fork in the road. And somebody erected an outhouse. right over this stream here. So this stream gets polluted. While this stream runs pure. Now, may, now do you want to drink out of the older one with the outhouse on it or a younger one? Quite obvious. Just because a manuscript is older, you see, that old manuscript 
the Sinaiticus, and a Vaticanus text, was rejected by the church is corrupt. That's the reason it was still intact in, in a monastery. No one wanted to read it. It was impure. It was, it was marred. It had all kinds of mistakes in it. Different copyists had tried to correct it and had all kinds of errors. And that's the stream right now that all your modern Bibles are coming from. All of them are being produced, are being produced from a line that was corrupted years and years ago. And it represents less than 1% of the manuscripts that are available in the portions of Scripture. Now, to add to that, to add to that, we have copies of the Bible in Latin that date back to the early 2nd century, maybe the 1st century, Latin version. And not, not whole copies, but we have little, little portions of it, and we have, we have the descent of it in copies that were made. We have Gothic, way back in the 7th century, the Gothic language. We have the Germanic. We have back Syriac, Coptic, that's Egyptian languages. Uh, many of the ancient languages. And then we have, dating back before 1000 AD, uh, Danish, German, many of the European languages, many copies made. So what happens is when we take all of the ancient copies of the European languages, as well as the ancient Greek, the ancient Latin, the, the Arabic, the Syrian language, all those that surrounded Israel, when you take all those copies, they read, they have the same readings in another language as the 1611 King James Bible. This line is called the Textus Receptus. It doesn't exist just in Greek. It exists in multiple languages. Whereas this corrupted text stands alone with supposedly about 25 witnesses, two Bibles, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, and some little pieces none of them agreeing with each other, where these all agree. None of them agreeing with each other. The only thing they're similar in this corrupted line of manuscripts is that they all disagree with each other, and they all disagree with this text here. In other words, these were the corrupted Bibles someone produced, uh, and they were rejected by the church. But modern German scholarship picked up the idea of disposing of the Bible by means of creating doubt about its authenticity. Uh, now, that's, that's, a, that's the biggest hoax ever perpetrated upon the church. Now, hand me those two books right there. Uh, this is well documented. This book, Which Version is the Bible, by Nolan, Floyd Nolan Jones, goes into great detail. We secured the right to publish this book. I'm not here to sell books. I'm here to help you. And, but we make that book available at below its original cost, well below. And then here's one, In Awe of Thy Word, by Gail Ripplinger. I was reading some bit just this morning. It's well over 1,100 pages. And this is a fascinating book written by a scholar. And I want to show you one thing in it. She purchased, or rather somebody gave her a copy of, of 
I think it was 15 different languages, a Bible with 15 different languages. And she, she owns that. And it was written before the King James Bible in 1599. It has the Bible in English in it, but it all has Syriac, uh, Greece, Latin, German, Bohemic, Italic, uh, Gaelic, Anglican, Danish, Polish, and others. In other words, before the King James Bible was produced, what they don't tell you is the Bible was available in multiple languages reading just like this throughout Europe. And the English King James Bible, there were five printed versions, four printed versions, fifth the King James, before the King James was translated. And there are English copies of the Bible dating back into the 10th and 11th centuries. One king had the entire book of Revelation written on his ceiling. And so handwritten copies date way back and trace back to the Gothic language from which the English is derived in part. And you can read the Gothic. In fact, uh, the writer of this book, Gail Ripplinger, in awe of that word, learned the Gothic language so she could collate and examine the ancient Bible text. Very smart lady. And uh, so she shows you in there how the English is traced back through Gothic and Celtic and all the way back into the Britain, back into as early as the first century. And ancient scholars say that Joseph of Arimathea and 11 others, 12 of them, in the first century went to the British Isles, which wasn't called Britain at the time, and took the gospel and the Bible and translated it. And so when we say we believe the 1611 King James Bible, uh, we're, not, we're not ignorant of what we're saying. Now, I've made this, I've, I've oversimplified this. I've made this very simple. If you want to read a 1,200-page book about it, it's available. If you want to read a 300-page, it's available. And there are other books on the subject. But don't go around smugly thinking that you know something simply because you've heard some preacher that you respect say that the oldest and best manuscripts. Now, <laughs> next time, this is part one. In part two, I'm going to show you what a fraud this ancient manuscript that came from the outhouse actually is. All right, that's just a little bit. Study, make yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. I'm going to go back to painting, okay? This <laughs> wasn't much of a painting. I'm going to go back to painting, all right? Get your own print of Mike's Revelation painting at ngj.org revelation. Available as a poster or a full-size banner and includes a copy of Mike's Revelation Handbook Study Guide. 